Ephesians chapter number 2 this morning for our text, Ephesians chapter number 2, and we'll be looking at verse number 10 this morning. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 10, considering the phrase of the Apostle Paul in verse 10, the first phrase, for we are his workmanship, for we are his workmanship. The verse reads this way, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Our subject again, His workmanship. At the moment of our salvation, we instantly are joined into the eternal family of Christ. It is an instantaneous addition. Paul shows us here in verse number 10 how redeemed men and women, although this instant addition into eternal life, it results in the living of a new life. It is marked by the living of a life that is different because of the work of Christ in their hearts. This work of Christ is a continual work, and it is what we commonly refer to as sanctification. Uh, Verse 10 begins talking about the reality of the sanctification of a person who has been added into the eternal family of Christ. What is this purpose of sanctification? What is this, uh, the principles that we learn here? Well, we know that those that are part of the saving grace of God, those who've truly been converted, who've truly been regenerated, are continually being fashioned and formed into the image of Christ. There is a work that is continually occurring. The work of salvation, although there is this instant addition into the eternal family, However, there is this continually forming, continual forming and fashion that is to result in holiness. Holiness is an imitation of Christ. When we talk about the word holiness, many people come up with a definition of what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to look holy? But in its purest form, holiness is imitating Christ. What Christ is, is what we desire to be. Now, God uses many different means. God uses many different ways to conform and fashion Christians into the image of Christ. Now, again, the goal is not to form us into the outward appearance of our facial uh, expressions or our physical appearance. But the main one is to bring us into conforming into his image. One of the ways in which God does that is through his chastisement. Uh, God uses chastisement to conform us into the image of Christ. Uh, when we raise children, uh, part of the raising of children, it is the, not the pleasant part of, child, of child rearing, or childbearing and bringing up kids and nurturing them, is chastisement to correct them, to tell them where they're wrong, to remind them of how to uh, live properly. We do a great spiritual disservice as well as a, just a human disservice if we do not discipline our children, if we just let our children do whatever they want to do. Uh, the modern philosophy of raising a family is to let kids figure out and make their own mistakes. That is a horrific way to raise children and to try to live a family. We are to correct them. We are to discipline. 
And God in his sovereignty and in his perfectness, he will continually chastise his children. We are constantly under the chastisement of God. When we fall into sin, we should expect to be chastised by God. I would submit to you when you fall into sin, if you are one of his children, you will be chastised by God. This is not going to be an option. You're not going to be able to sin without any chastisement of God's hand. When God sees our fall into sin, he brings reproof. He brings rebuke. He brings correction, just like an earthly father brings to his children. Now, chastisement, although it seems uncomfortable and seems painful, it is also one of the greatest comforts and greatest reassurances that we are in fact saved. To be under the chastising hand of God is an assurance of salvation. It's an assurance that we have a Father. It's an assurance we have a Father that loves us because He corrects us. All that are truly saved are going to be chastised when they sin. Sons and daughters. It is impossible for you and I to claim to be saved and yet not sanctified. In other words, it's impossible to say I'm saved, but I'm not undergoing sanctification. That is to completely misunderstand the Scriptures. We are being sanctified if we are in the family of God. That sanctification has a purpose of holiness. It has the purpose of bringing us into the image of Christ. We believe that salvation from beginning to end is a work of God. It's under the control of God. And so that very reason, those whom God saves, God sanctifies. He's not going to save you and then not sanctify you. He is doing the work of salvation. Sanctification ultimately leads to glorification, which indicates that we will be without sin. So the premise in which we're operating on verse number 10 about his workmanship is the idea here that salvation is entirely the work of God. We all agree about that. And good works cannot be the ground of our acceptance with Him. That's what Paul is proving here. Salvation is the work of God. Good works are not the basis of our acceptance, but that there is a purpose in our salvation. And that is sanctification and that we are ordained to walk in them. So what does Paul declare here by that very first expression? He says, for we are his workmanship. The very beginning of this sentence indicates to us, and it's emphatic, Paul is writing it with emphasis. He says, we are his workmanship. He has made us believers. He has made us Christians. He has has made us who we are. Our faith is not of ourselves. It is the faith of God. It is of God that we are even in Christ to begin with. So because we're in Christ, we are his workmanship from beginning to end. The idea of a workman is one that is the one who is completing or finishing the task which is at hand. Paul says that we are his workmanship. Notice the word created. Creation is a right and a privilege and the ability of God. God alone has the ability to create life. He's the only one that has the ability to create life. Physical life and spiritual life. So we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship, not just in our physical life being given, but we are his workmanship even in the work of salvation. So to be in Christ, to be created in Christ Jesus, 
If you have been created by him in salvation, you are in fact a new creature. You are a new creation. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about the reality of being unified with Christ or the unity in Christ. To be, have a union with him means that we have a new source of life. We have a new life in Christ. But that new life is to be pointing us to a new life of holiness. That's what this verse really is encapsulating. The reality that if we're his workmanship, we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in it. So our salvation leads to a walk. How we walk ought to be the result of the workmanship of Christ in our life. Notice he uses the phrase, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The word unto is a very important word. It's a response here that shows us that there is a purpose for that creation. The purpose of the creation in Christ Jesus is for the purpose of good works. The very end of our redemption, the very end of our salvation is holiness. It is a being in the image of Christ. Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and to purify us and make unto him a peculiar people. Those peculiar people are to be zealous of good works. In other words, we are going to desire good works because it is the outflow or the result of being created unto good works by being in Christ Jesus. So those who continue to habitually live in sin, who continually say, I'm not concerned about my sanctification. I'm not concerned about my walk with God. I'm only concerned that I've punched my eternal ticket to heaven it is impossible for them to have been created in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote in the book of Titus, if you'll turn there with me, Titus chapter number 2, he speaks on this subject directly. And he speaks in a way that is in the way of Paul's writings. It's very direct. Uh, it's very definite. Uh, it leaves uh, really no room to argue with his uh, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Titus chapter number 2, verses 11 through 15, Paul in chapter 2 is dealing with telling Timothy to be faithful in teaching sound doctrine. But in verses 11 through 15, he specifically deals with the subject of the grace of God. And he says in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority let no man despise thee Paul clearly says that one of the results of the grace of God working in your life, that grace that brought salvation, that part of the grace that brings salvation also teaches you to deny ungodliness, deny worldly lust, 
To live soberly, to live righteously, to live godly when? In this present world. He's not talking about something that's being your, that you're going to be sanctified later. He says part of the work of grace is a denial of ungodliness. A denial of worldly lusts. And living righteously, living soberly. But he says, while you're living in this present world, he doesn't, he doesn't deny this. He says, you're doing all these things while looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. While you're looking for his return, you ought to be living in holiness. Why? Paul says, because verse 14, who gave himself for us. Now, if the end of salvation was simply that he might redeem us from all iniquity, that verse would stop there. But it doesn't. He says, not only did he give himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself or to make holy a peculiar people who are zealous of good works. That's the totality of what salvation is. Saved us, yes, from our sin, but that's not where it ends. He saved us to purify us, to make us holy, to sanctify us in order to present us blameless before the Father, our glorification without sin. And I love the way Paul dogmatically says this to to Titus. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Those words are different. To speak and exhort are different than to rebuke. He says if some he's telling rebuke those who deny this. So if you have someone who comes into your congregation who says, "Listen, sanctification and holiness is not part of the grace of God." You rebuke them for that. You tell them and correct them. They're wrong. Why? Because Paul says that this is part of being his workmanship. See, by showing we are God's workmanship, he and not ourselves has made us what we are. See, we're not our workmanship. We're God's workmanship. It's He alone who's made us what we are. Not simply just our creation uh, and, our, and our, our humanness, but He's created us to be believers, to be those who are peculiar, who are walking in righteousness. The work of the soul, of the work of grace in the soul, is one of God's mysterious works. If we, if we talked about that great mystery during Bible study this morning, there's, there's a mystery of God's work in the soul. How is God doing this work? Grace is primarily an, an internal work. The, the evidence of grace is not first seen outwardly, it's seen inwardly. When God does a work of grace in a person, it's seen inside first, not outwardly. Sometimes we get this idea wrong and we say, in order for this grace to be seen, you need to live righteously. You need to live soberly. The problem is, until an internal work of grace has taken place, it's impossible for us to walk in holiness and godliness and to live soberly and to live righteously. It's impossible to deny worldly lust if we have not, in fact, had an internal work of grace in our souls. That's what Paul is getting at. God is the author of this work. It's not the work of a preacher. It's not the work of, of, of the angels. It's a work of God. When God does the work, He regenerates and He sanctifies. 
This isn't optional. You cannot be a child of God and not be under the work of sanctification. And I would tell you, lovingly, but with warning, if you're not under the chastising hand of God at any point in your life, I'm telling you by the authority of the word of God, repent and believe on Christ because the chastising hand of God gives us the assurance that we are being molded and fashioned into his image. There are too many who just simply say, well, I've punched my ticket. But there's no work of sanctification taking place. Grace is never void of sanctification. You can't say God's done a work of grace in me, but he's not sanctifying me. Or that now he's done the work of salvation, and now I, I am responsible fully for the work of sanctification. Even the work of sanctification is a work of grace. But it has outward results. Denying worldly lust. Living soberly. Paul talks about the subjects of this operating grace of God. This divine operation. They are the persons that were described in Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The recipients of sanctification are those who were once dead who have now been made alive. And remember, he told them, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in a children of disobedience. So he's drawing this line between here's what you were and here's what you are now. To be walking according to the course of this world is to be in an unsanctified state. It's impossible for an unbeliever to be holy. It's impossible for an unregenerate to live righteously and soberly. But Paul says, because you're his workmanship, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, who he's quickened, the author of life, that included not just Jews, it included the Jews, it included the Gentiles. This would be the distinguishing mark of grace. Your greatest testimony of being in the faith is based upon what Paul wrote in Titus about. Denying worldly lust. Living righteously and living soberly. That's a mark, a distinguishing mark of grace, along with the chastisement of God. This is all being mentioned here for Paul to understand that one time you were the children of wrath, and now you're the child of God. There ought to be such a distinction between the child of God and the child of wrath that it ought to be identifiable. Why? Because of the work of sanctification. I don't believe with anything in me based upon Scripture that God does half a work. That He didn't have the opportunity to do the full work of sanctification in you, so He just stopped. As he does the work of sanctification, these become the outward markers. These become the outward characteristics so that you're no longer walking according to the flesh. Next week, we'll get into in verses 11, 12, and 13 when Paul begins to talk about being reconciled unto Christ. But this one verse shows us so much, not just about our salvation that we cannot attribute to any works, but that even our very works that we do in our life 
are the result of God's working in us. Salvation is work that God has done in us. Sanctification is a work that he is doing himself that brings pleasure to him. We don't do good works in order to gain grace. We do good works because of grace. Because of that divine internal operation of God in our souls, good works are the result of that. That's why Paul, he puts the order, his workmanship creating Christ Jesus unto good works. The, the, the sentence or the expression, the verse, it kind of goes back. He says, Here's, we're his workmanship, right? And we're created in him. But God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The word ordained there means to prepare beforehand. So in the preparation before he even created you in Christ Jesus unto good works, he had already ordained that you should walk in them. Walk in what? In the good works that are the result of the internal work of grace. Holiness is the end of redemption, folks. Sanctification is the end of redemption. Purifying unto himself people that are peculiar and zealous of good works. So we see, first of all, that by showing that we are God's workmanship, it is he and not ourselves that has made us what we are. Number two, by the consideration we have to bring in mind, is that we are created unto good works. So the fact that we are told to walk in holiness and to walk in good works as a result of what's already taken place proves to us that holiness is not the ground or the reason why we were elected unto salvation. We were not, we were not given salvation because we were holy ahead of time. Holiness is the result of His electing grace. We were created unto good works. That shows us that even good works are not the ground on which we have been made subject to this new creation. You didn't do enough good works to qualify for God to save you. They are all this outflow of the eternal divine operating grace of God inwardly. So, but we are created for that purpose. The work of grace and true creation is not a reformation of something old. It's the creation of something new. When we talk about reformed, we're not talking about something that's just taking what was old and making it a little bit better. It's an infusion or a, a, a creation of something brand new. It is this new creature that Paul talks about in Corinthians. A new creation in Christ. That new creation is different than the old. He walks different. He talks different. His desires are different. He's living a life that is one that is pleasing to his Father. This grace that makes us this new creature, we become openly and visibly one of his. These are new principles of grace. These are things that are working in us that were not there before. We are now being fitted for glory. This is a hard concept to even get my mind around. 
We're being fitted for glory. The word fitted means to be equipped. We're being equipped to live eternally with the one who died and redeemed us. You realize that even in our current state, like we're sitting right now, in our current state, we couldn't be in his presence in our current state. Something changes between here and there. Because sin cannot be present in glory. Even the smallest amount. So what is the purpose of sanctification and holiness? Are we ever going to reach sinless perfection here in this life? No, we're not. But we're being equipped. We're being fitted. We have the capacity now to do good works. A new man has been formed in us that has been created for righteousness and true holiness. Grace is a popular buzzword, but it's more than just a buzzword. It is a grace actually qualifies and changes the performance of a person's actions. My actions now become righteous actions and my actions become holy actions. Why? Because God created them. God created us to walk in these good works. When did he ordain this? Beforehand. Before what? Before the foundation of the world and before you were even thought of by worldly perspective. God prepared beforehand. What did he prepare for? He prepared these good works that would be performed by his peculiar people. Those works that his people would do, he was preparing for them. That's why when we do something unto the Lord, or we do something unto someone else, Jesus himself said, what you've done unto them, you've done unto me. God's appointed good works. He's ordained good works to be done by his people. What are good works? What's the purpose of a good work? So that you get the glory and the applause? No. So that man may declare what God has done for them. Every good work I do is not so that man sees me, but so that it declares what God has done for me. My good works are not a result of my righteousness, but they are the result of His righteous acts upon me. It's what He'd have to be done. It's His will that we not only do them, but to continue in them. It's not one single act. It's, not, it, it's constant walk. Walk in this particular verse suggests not only a past action, but a present and future. So if we were to say, now go walk in them, that means to continue what you've already been doing. Moving forward, walking in them. In what? These good works that God before ordained. He prepared ahead of time. We read in Philippians 1 about Paul's conversation, and he mentioned about only having your conversation being that of the gospel. And he even used terminology, which is not a popular uh, verse to memorize, but he, he says that in verse 27, he said, only let your conversation be, conversation means your conduct, your walk, your works, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. But then he suggests at the end of that chapter 
that there would be adversaries. And he said, and nothing terrified by your adversary. An adversary is an enemy, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. He said, your good works, your striving together, your conversation being becometh the gospel will lead to there being enemies and adversaries. And your testimony, your good works will serve as a sign to them of their destruction, but it'll serve also as a sign that you are truly saved. And that's where he tells us, he said, for unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Folks, for us to have the false idea that we're not going to suffer for Christ is to have the wrong idea. You and I are to expect suffering for the cause of Christ. Part of your sanctification will involve suffering of some sort. Whatever God's means are, whatever He chooses to do, to use, to sanctify you, and to make you more in the image of Christ, God is unlimited in what He can choose to do. This conversation in our course of life, one continual series of good works. Paul's intention in Ephesians 2.10 is not that you are saved by those good works, but that you walk in them because you are saved. Your good works aren't saving you, but they are indications, they're evidence that you in fact are a child of God. And that is by the preordination of God. God's preordained that you should walk in those. If it's the preordination of God, it shows us that we are not predestinated unto salvation according to good works because good works are the effects of it But we understand that the reality is, is God has predestinated us not just to have our ticket to heaven, but it also provides the performance of good works because of the eternal grace of God in our heart. I don't know all that it means to have our, all of our eternity secured. It's a thought that often rattles in my mind about What does it mean to have the the issues of sin that we still have today, but also knowing that my eternal security is already taken care of? Because the reality is, as Paul is saying, that those who've been recipients of this grace, these evidences are going to be there. For many years, I heard so so many messages on how all of this is falling on you to perform. And that if you don't perform this, then you must not be. But the reality is, is if you truly are in Christ, these things are going to be there. Goes back in line with what Paul said, that being saved by grace is not a license to continue sinning. See, a course of life, conversation, how long do we have? Our course, our conversation of life varies. We're not all guaranteed to have lived the same amount of years that we might all experience the same works. That's why Paul doesn't put a, he doesn't put a number on this. I mean, think about the thief on the cross. What, what good works by our man's standards did he perform? Faith is all he had. Belief, 
He, he wasn't able to come down off of that cross next to our Lord and, and go perform something that someone else can see. But yet Paul is indicating that because we're his workmanship, he's ordained that we should walk in them. Do we make an exception and said, well, it's just certain people. I don't understand all the mystery of this. But it shows us that these was, this is not the work of just what we can do outwardly. These performance of good works, these are indications of the eternal security of the saint. When Paul wrote to Timothy in a similar manner as he did to Titus, 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verses 11 through 16, this is the, 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 the text where Paul is bringing the first epistle, the first letter to Timothy to a close, and he kind of gives him this, this rallying cry in the conclusion. He says in verse 11 of 1 Timothy 6, But thou, O man of God... Now, don't gloss over that reference. Paul is indicating he's given this cry, this rallying cry to Timothy because Timothy is a man of God. This isn't a reference to his being a preacher. This is a reference to that he is, he is a saved man. He's not given this to an unbeliever and saying, okay, unbeliever, flee these things and follow after right. He's given this to a, a believer. And he says, flee these things. What are those things? Verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. He talks about contentment. He talks about uh, food and raiment, being content with what you have. Uh, he talks about riches. He talks about the love of money is the root of all evil. Talks about how those who've coveted after have erred from the faith. They've pierced themselves. And he says, but thou, man of God, Timothy, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. One of the remarkable things that Paul talks about Timothy in, in the very first parts of the letter, is that Timothy's reputation and Timothy's testimony was one who walked with God. People knew that Timothy was a follower of Christ. They knew he was a follower of God. How did they know that? By his good works, by his works of righteousness. Paul reminds him to continue fighting this good fight he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in, time, in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Paul reminded Timothy of his own good works. That Timothy, you who have been saved by this grace. As we bring this to a close, Paul again wanted to make sure that there would not be any impression that good works preceded faith. Or that good works led to grace. But that God's grace was the cause. God's grace is the source of salvation, but it's also the sustaining power. The sustaining power means that the works that I do 
are being done in the works of God's grace. They're not works which I have done. They are works which God is sustaining me and giving me the power to do. Folks, you cannot live soberly and righteously and deny ungodliness and worldly lusts in this world apart from the sustaining power of God's grace. No matter how many reformations of your own life and your own will and your own desire, if God does not do a work of grace in your life. But do you know how many people today are trying to earn their way to salvation by doing good works, by looking holy, by, asking, by acting holy. And God says through Paul, you are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in what? In Christ Jesus unto good works. The spirit that lives in us is that spirit of love. It's that spirit of joy, of faith, of humility, of truth. You see, those are good works. To, to love, to, to, to have humility, to guard the truth. Our calling to salvation is a holy calling. No one is called to saving faith without the work of sanctification taking place in their life. Our walk, according to what we've read in, in Ephesians and Philippians, in Titus, in 1 Timothy, our walk is to be in the image of Christ, and that means we are to walk in holiness with Him. Paul made very certain. He left no opportunity for a sinful man to ever believe that his good works had anything to do with God extending saving grace. But that he told them very clearly and distinctly if you have truly had an internal work of grace in your heart, it will never be without sanctification. It's going to evidence itself. It's going to reveal itself in how we conduct ourselves, our conversation. Not according to what I say, but according to what Jesus says would happen, what Paul says would happen. You and I were created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. That we might be made a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We're being equipped, we're being fitted, we're being chastised. Sanctification is at work in our life. God is working those things out in us. And the person that says, I am saved, but sanctification is not my thing. Sanctification is not something that's required you have to ask the question, where did they get that doctrine? Because there is no salvation without sanctification taking place. Now again, do we understand the entire mystery of this? No. But we do know that Paul says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We'll conclude our time this morning with our reading from the Valley of Vision, chapter number 9, page 374. On Wednesday evening, we read about heaven desired, and this on 374 is entitled Retrospect and Prospect. It says, Supreme Ruler of the visible and invisible worlds, my heart is drawn out to thee for thy amazing grace and condescension. Thou hast kept my conversion fresh before me, 
that season of my first spiritual comfort when I passed through the Red Sea by a way I did not expect. I rejoice then for that unthought of passage that delivered me from the fear of the Egyptian when I had almost despaired of life. I rejoice now as these things are fresh and lively in my mind. My soul melts when I think of thy days of old with me, when a poor worthless creature without wisdom to direct or strength to help myself was laid under the happy necessity of living upon thee and finding thy consolations large. Thou art my divine treasury in whom all fullness dwells, my life, hope, joy, peace, glory, and end. May I be daily more and more conformed to thee with the meekness and calmness of the Lamb in my soul, and a feeling sense of the felicity of heaven, where I long to join angels free from imperfections, where in me the image of my adored Savior will be completely restored, so that I may be fit for his enjoyments and employments. I am not afraid to look the king of terrors in the face, for I know I shall be drawn, not driven, out of the world. Until then, let me continually glow and burn out for thee. And when the last great change shall come, let me awake in thy likeness, leaving behind me an example that will glorify thee. While my spirit rejoices in heaven, and my memory is blessed upon earth, with those who follow me praising thee for my life. Amen to that. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer this afternoon. Appreciate you being here. And we'll look forward to our time on Wednesday evening. And uh, let's remember as we dismiss in prayer, let's be in prayer for one another as we go. Father, we want to end our time today just by glorifying the grace that has been given and demonstrated in our life. Father, I pray that we would take these truths that we've heard today and that we would hide them, we would meditate upon them, that we would not easily let them escape. The Lord, help us to be mindful of what you have done for us. Lord, we are unworthy recipients of something so marvelous and so gracious that we are brought to our knees in thanksgiving and praise. Lord, help us to realize that this did not come free. There was a terrible cost that was paid by our Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this earth as a babe, would go to the cross, would bleed, would suffer, would die as a substitutionary atonement. He would take the place of sinners. And by finishing and completing this work, He would accomplish the work of redemption. Lord, help us to leave here today rejoicing in that free gift of salvation that was free to us, but cost our Savior. Father, we are thankful that that tomb did not remain occupied, that he came forth just as was told, and he burst forth from that grave and ascended back to the right hand of his Father. And Lord, we take comfort in knowing today that not only as believers will we be under the chastising hand of God to sanctify us and to make us more into the image of Christ, but we also know that Christ liveth evermore to intercede on our behalf. It is his righteousness and his righteousness alone that we can claim for our acceptance with you. Lord, I pray now that you'll go with us. And Lord, thank you for this time we've had together. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake that I do pray and ask these things. Amen. All right. Lord bless you. Thank you.